from NinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. And uh, Zach, uh, before we you know get into this week's topic, um, what's going on, man? I got any thoughts? I, I I had my own banter of last week with the uh, with the with Paloma Gate 2019. <laughs> so I'm not going to subject anyone to any more of my yeah, no really strong opinions right now. But uh, what about you? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned last last week's podcast, and I had a question for you about this, which is, you know, one thing that we didn't really talk about because um, it kind of was it was sort of tangential to this. But but I was thinking about it while we were while we were. Um, interviewing Paul and actually more early on the stage I was editing the podcast was like I think that the the sort of the online wine clubs that we've that we talked about as sort of the like things like uh, Wink and Naked Wines and stuff like that and it sort of vaguely ties into our topic today I think in a way like to me those are kind of the the online equivalent of the person who buys Charles Shaw or you know sort of whatever your Trader Joe's brand of choice is and and I was gonna say, like do you ever drink those wines? I mean, I do sometimes. Like once in a while, I've definitely had Trader Joe's wines. I think that there are some Trader Joe's wines that are really good, um, depending on you know what you're, what how you're searching for them and whatever. And, and they actually have some some wines from some really good wineries uh, sure. that they sell Trader Joe's that's just cheaper. But no, I mean, I do ha- like it's hard for me sometimes. Like I think this is what's really hard about bulk juice. Is that there is some bulk juice out there that's really good, and there are some people that have a really, you know, that that are able to source that juice, right? So, like, I think, for example, of like um, a good friend of mine, Jeff Porter, who's a you know pretty well known sommelier, now has a wine called Igni, and he sources you know wines from volcanic soils, and I mean, he's basically buying someone's juice, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's but but he's buying it from winemakers he knows really well, and they're selling him some excess. And then he's bottling that wine and bringing it over to the U.S. and selling it in a few key markets. So, but that is, I guess, you could technically say that's bulk wine, right? Like, sure. um, so I wonder if. But then you have, you know, the really bulk wines of the world, like the Winks that I definitely don't drink, um, because those I think are are made uh, in a in a method that's just you know mass production of wine. Yeah. Um, so it's hard, like, because I think there are definitely private labeled wines I. I drink like Igni is definitely you could argue a private labeled wine, um, but it's a really high quality wine. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is, like, am I did I answer that in a way that is what you were asking? Sure. Well, I think you know it's it, it, it's it is a it is an answer, and, and I certainly end up with some of those wines in my. It life. is an answer. <laughs> it's an answer. <laughs> you said some words after I asked you a question. It's true. No, I think I think you're right in that. You know, we the, one of the challenges of this industry is there's a lot of terminology that floats around that that is imprecise because it can mean a lot of different things depending on who you are, and I think bulk juice and you know this sort of question of you know what what the sort of French term negociant, which means basically you're buying either grapes in in some cases or or in some cases already crushed uh, you know grape juice or fermented uh, you know finished wine or something somewhere along the way has a negative connotation because we like to romanticize, you know, wine is something that, you know, the, I don't know, the farmer grows it and also vinifies it. And then maybe also like, I don't know, delivers it to our house or something. And, and that's just not a very realistic model for, for most people because, you know, that kind of wine by and large is pretty expensive, or at least it, it, it's hard for it to be both widely available and relatively reasonably priced because once you start getting to a certain scale, you know, you, you have to start kind of, 
working at volumes that just take it out of one person's hands. And and that's not a bad thing. And I think you're right. I think there's there's a lot of very good wine or sort of in-process wine floating around the, the market um, wherever you are, whether it's New York, Seattle, or somewhere else, that definitely didn't have that sort of like idyllic, you know, backstory, but it's still real good. There's just, unfortunately, a lot more of this crap. And it's, and people have realized that putting a cool label on it and sort of forcing someone to buy it as being a part of their wine club is a good way to unload it. And and that's unfortunately what I think you do see with some of these clubs. And, and, you know, I mean, I I don't subscribe to them, uh, so I can't say definitively, but I have had people who I know and, and, and who want my opinion, who bring those wines and, and ask me what I think about them. And, you know, I try to be honest without hurting feelings whenever I can. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, if you're, there's a lot of different wine consumers out there. And I think if for you, you've, you find pleasure in those wines, then, you know, more power to you. Um, they're not generally wines from, from some of these like more bulk clubs that I, I have, as I've evolved in my tastes, um, enjoyed as much. But like, if you do, that's awesome. As someone with bad taste, can I chime in here? Yeah, go. Guys, Nick, Nick is joining the podcast. I've subscribed to the Naked Wines subscription previously, and their big thing is like telling you that you're supporting independent winemakers. They send you pictures of like this like rotund old man who's in his grape fields, and he's the one who made this wine that you're drinking now. So is that all BS then? Like none of that's actually what's happening with those that's wines? That's fucking bullshit, Nick. God. <laughs> The veil. Has like, I just got to say that's definitely bullshit. Like I know of people who've done it, but it's it's basically it's the winemaker. They may they've bought some bulk from that winemaker for one. I mean they're not lying, right? So like if if a winemaker is there, I'm sure the winemaker did make that wine, but you didn't. It's not because of you and your subscription to Naked Wines that they were able to make that wine. They already chose to make that wine right after the harvest. And then you bought the wine that they made that they sold to Naked Wines as bulk. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Under a label that they, you know, that's different from other labels they sell. So maybe that allowed them to potentially do something experimental. But maybe that was just like, look, like we have some excess of these plants that aren't really ready yet for us to put under our own label. Right. So maybe they make a, a maybe they're a winemaker at a, you know, at a really well-known, well-respected winery, and that's not juice for yet they would use for their own wines or blends or whatever. So they're like, cool, we can still use somewhat of our brand by using the name of the winemaker or the winemaker is the brand or whatever, and we can sell that, but it won't be X winery's name on the bottle. And there that, is something that's my about, understanding of it. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's also something about this kind of like, you know, it's like, are you are you really supporting the winemaker when you're buying their wine through a sort of a secondary selling, you know, site, you know, in other words, you're subscribing Naked Wines or whoever is going out and buying this bulk juice and whether it's, you know, very young vines that they're trying to figure out something to do with or it's excess or, you know, it's a really big harvest and they have a little more fruit than they can support in their program. And you're kind of, I mean, it's not, you're not exactly a wine vulture, but it kind of has a little bit of this vibe to me of like, you're, you are not you specifically, Nick. Um, I'm not trying to blame you. Taking um, this all very personally. Yeah, please, I hope please. You guys know. Nick is going to storm out of the Sorry, studio any Nick. moment. Um, no, but, but there's something about this idea where you, if you sort of, if you're the, if you're shot, if it's purely about, you know, sort of supporting these winemakers and the best way to support them is to buy their wine that they make under their normal label at something like the normal retail price and that 
value shopping is understandable. We all do it. I mean, Adam, me, everyone else listening to this podcast, you know, we we find our places to to save our money when we when and where we can. But it's a little disingenuous to say that like buying wine that's made from excess juice or or that this or that occasionally was maybe sold under some degree of duress from these winemakers is like helping them is just I I think it's it's a little it's a little naive and I, and I mean that respectfully. Okay. So the the picture of them standing in the field as they're like in at the proverbial gunpoint of the <laughs> I was going to say lines. you don't see the gunmen hidden <laughs> right, behind okay. the camera. All right. I've been hoodwinked. It's official. <laughs> you have. Um and, and speaking of hoodwinked, let's get into yeah, this. Yeah, like a good lead which in. is basically something that, it's a conversation we've all been having uh in the office I've been having with a lot of other people. And that is does does knowing the politics or thoughts or positioning or et cetera of a winery, brewery, et cetera, should it impact your, you know, opinion of their product, even if their product is good or bad. So let me give you an example. Winemaker makes amazing wine, but comes out in a conversation to you to be a bigot, misogynist, you know, homophobe, et cetera, but makes amazing wine that you think is some of the best wine you've ever drunk. Should those views impact your opinion of the, of the juice or brewer makes fine beer, not amazing, but is an amazing person, right? Supports all these charities that you support, really cares about the workers. Everyone says they're like one of the best people in the world to work for, really takes care of their place, the community, et cetera. Should that then more positively influence your opinion of their product? I think that's like a conversation that is really important to have. And Zach, I'm curious sort of like what you think, because my, you know, just from shooting from the hip, real gut reactions, it absolutely should. Mm -hmm. But that's me. And I, I think that at this point in time in the, the place that we're in, we absolutely should be taking into account who the people are making the product. It shouldn't just be the product. Yeah. But what do you think? I largely agree with you. I think I have two sort of thoughts about this. So the first is we have learned over the last however many years that there is a lot of really shitty, really bad behavior that has been ignored, swept under the rug, whatever, by people in many, many industries. And the beverage alcohol industry is definitely no different. And I think it is incumbent as consumers, as members of the media, as members of the trade, in my case, that we not just go like, I'm just going to judge this on the merits of the thing they produce. Because doing that is enabling in some way these people to continue to be predators, monsters, assholes, whatever. And it's important that everywhere along the way, you know, in the same way that we've seen, you know, famous chefs be forced out of the business, you know, Batali and others, because of their conduct, we should not settle for less uh, when, and where, when and where we can in the beverage industry. I think there are two separate threads here. I think there is the thread of the small-ish, or at least the case where the, the person at the head of a company or the, the winemaker, or the brewer, or the distiller, or the person who we associate with that brand is a person. And we can sort of say like, this person did X or they support Y. And I don't like that. I think that's bad. And I'm not going to support them because of that. I think there's also this question of like, should our money, you know, we were talking, I mean, when we were bantering about, you know, these, um, 
you know, these wine clubs, you know, where is that money eventually flowing up to? I mean, some venture capitalist, do we support that person who's probably not someone whose name we know, who we is not associated with the brand in any meaningful way? They just happen to profit at the end. You know, does it okay to buy stuff from Amazon? Because I guess I like Jeff Bezos's politics better because, you know, he's more aligned with me than some other billionaires are. I, I don't I don't have a great answer for that. And it's hard to say with with that side of things where the the people profiting are more removed from the sort of the name of the product or it's frankly sometimes really hard to figure out who actually is making money at the at the top in, in this enterprise. So I think for the for the former, for smaller production stuff or where you can pinpoint a person, then yes, absolutely, I think it's important to consider that on both ends. And I think your your examples are both good ones. I definitely, you know, from a from a personal standpoint, like there are, you know, beers and wines and things that I buy because I really like the people who make them. And I I also like the product, but it's important to me to vote, I guess, in this sense, or to support with my wallet and not just to say like, oh, yeah, this person's great, but like, oh, they're going to go out of business because, you know, I don't know, it's, it's, they're, they're, you know, taking better care of their workers. So their margins are thinner. So I, and I'm not going to do anything to help support that. Like, that isn't the world I want to live in. I don't think it's the world that you, that you or probably some, at least some of our listeners want to live in. So yeah, you, you have to be conscious of that. I think the hard part is just knowing where to even start looking when it's not in your face. Look, I mean, I think about it in terms of even us as a publication, right? Like if you if you don't agree with some of the things we say or the causes we support, if you don't agree with like the fact that we do believe that there are marginalized communities that need to be spoken to more in this day and age by the people that produce alcoholic beverages and that offends you that we call attention to that, then that's fine. You don't have to read Vine Pair. I think that that's the same with people who you, in terms of, you know, the drinking world don't support in terms of their you know, politics or attitudes or ideas. And I think at the end of the day, like a lot of winemakers, brewers, et cetera, should also understand that that is also the case, right? In terms of when they put those ideas out, like I think, you know, we have a lot of conversations of people who would say something on Twitter and be like, you know, these aren't the ideas that are my brand. They're my, they're my own personal ideas. Like, well, I'm, you are the brand. Like if you work for the brand, if you hire people that work for the brand that say these kinds of things, right? So it may not even be you, the owner of said brand. You may have hired someone that says a despicable thing, right? So I had an experience recently where like I was at a winery with a, the winery's, you know, head of sales and they said something extremely off color. Now they're just an employee, but they represent the winery and that made me judge the wines. And yeah. that's unfortunate for the winery, but I was like, look, like you have, you hired an employee that doesn't have a filter and said something that was incredibly racist. And that's not okay. And, you know, I, I think those are things that we have to, as a wine culture, stand up to. And as a drinking, as a beer culture, as a spirits culture too, like we have to say like at this point in time, I want to support the companies and the, and the liquid that does, you know, feel good, feel open, feel better for the world than just because like bl on a blind tasting, this is the greatest wine I've ever tried. Um, that, I mean, and again, I think, you know, people may completely disagree with us, but I feel like the majority of people nowadays hopefully don't. Um, and I think that the rest of the country, the rest of the world needs to kind of wake up to that fact, right? Like, I think that's the biggest thing I've also realized is there's a lot of people who haven't realized that there's a huge amount of people in the world around us that are willing to now vote with their pocketbooks. Yeah. Right. And are willing to, you know, walk away from something really great 
because it doesn't agree, you know, because, because unfortunately, as we had, you know, on an earlier podcast with Emily, our, you know, editor in chief, like everything is inherently political in life at this point in time. You know, like you can't separate anything in the world from, you know, how we'd like to see the world in general. Right. And that's why fair trade, that's why people care about fair trade coffee now. Right. Cause we want to make, we want to drink coffee made by people who actually pay the workers fair wages. Um, that's why we worry about what's organic and what's not. That's why we think about, you know, supporting small independent producers who we know are helping, you know, do really good things for their communities. And that's why we also don't want to support producers who don't do those things or who use those profits and may support causes we are, you know, totally against, whether that is on, you know, the left or the right. Sure. And I think, you know, I think it's two things to note on this, in my opinion. One is, you're right that we as a culture are in a place where for more for more and more of us, it's become clear that almost as important, I don't want to say as important, but almost as important in some ways, and certainly more regularly than voting in an actual election, we vote with how we spend our money. And to some extent for people like us, you know, kind of what we choose to talk about, or in my case, like what wines I choose or whatever choose to buy for a restaurant, because, you know, I mean, I guess that's sort of voting with someone else's money there that in that exercise, I think we just exist in a time where we can no longer pretend that our purchasing decisions are apolitical. You know, I mean, there has been this, you're right, there's been this kind of awakening to the fact that like, we cannot, without sort of extremely high levels of hypocrisy, espouse one set of, you know, beliefs, be they political or whatever, and then not actually live them. And sometimes that means we give up shit we like. You know, to me, one, I mean, one of the obvious ones for, for me, and it's not in the beverage space, but you know, it's like, I've had this conversation with a number of friends of mine, like, is there is there no doubt that Chick-fil-A makes a chicken sandwich that people like? Absolutely. But do you need to be aware of like you, you are you have to be aware of what you what your where your money is going and if you are okay with that, that's fine, but I and other people will think less of you as a person. We will think of you as something of a hypocrite. And there are worse fates in the world than that, but it is it is something that is important to be aware of and we don't get to say and I think like frankly, you know, white men like us have largely gotten to sort of say like, oh, no, this isn't political because it doesn't threaten us. It doesn't challenge us. And and I think we have to be aware that our purchasing decisions are political as are anyone's. I will also say on this vein, and you mentioned your sort of um, experience with, with a winery representative. I want to say I find few things more distasteful in my professional capacity, either as a journalist or as a member of the beverage trade, than whenever someone and it's almost always a man i guess because in this specific case it is when it's like all of a sudden you know it's just me and this other guy and they're like now let's talk about the female who was in the room like it's just disgusting to me and and it's just it's like i i'm not in high school anymore like i'm not interested i'm here for professional reasons i'm not here to gossip i'm not here to like you know talk about your sex life or mine and like, it's just this bizarre, like, I mean, there is a definite old boys club vibe in this industry, unfortunately, and it persists. And we've, you know, we've seen that. And I think it's something that hopefully we'll be talking about on an upcoming podcast um, in a little more depth and with people who are, you know, frankly, more uh, more kind of uh, prepared to talk about it and, and more qualified to talk yes. about it than, than either of us. <laughs> but but I, I would say that like, a thing that has changed for me is like, I used to sort of 
for lack of a for lack of something better to do would go along or at least sort of not say something. And now, you know, I try to say something or at the very least, I'm like, you know, let's let's stick to what we're actually here to talk about, which is, you know, the wine or beer or whatever. And I just, you know, I know there are a lot of people who work in the industry uh, who listen to this podcast and I, I want to implore you like there's just no place for it, right? You know, you want to have that kind of crude conversation with your actual friends in your own private space. I, I guess I'm not going to be able to stop you, but it is not something you should be doing professionally, whether it's 11 o'clock at night and we're three drinks deep and it's a, you know, a, a industry event or what, like keep that shit to yourself because it's just, it, it's so exclusionary and it's so it's, it, it's, I'm, I'm a straight white male and it makes me uncomfortable. I can only imagine how uncomfortable it makes someone who does not meet all three of those criteria. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it goes bigger than that. I think the other thing that, you know, has been a really off putting to me is like when you'll sit with, and again, this is, this is more now, not as, as much learning about someone's politics where their money's going, but just in the way that they view certain products when they'll say something like, Oh, this is my wine for women. I'm like, why can't this just be your wine for people that like this style of wine, bruh? You know, like, cause maybe I do too. Maybe everyone does. Maybe all the women don't like this style of wine. Like, come on, man. And it's all, again, it's always usually a, a dude. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's really, it's really annoying. And I think as wine professionals and as beverage professionals, we have to call that shit out. Like, you know, if, if you hear someone say, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean by that, that this is your wine for women? Or what do you mean by this is your wine for serious wine drinkers? What do you mean? So, so I want to give you an example you know? of, of when this came up years ago. And it was, a, it was one of the first times in my experience when I, I, I heard this and it made me really stop. And, and it's a, from an organization that I largely respect. But years and years ago, there was a podcast done by the Guild of Sommeliers. And they were doing a blind tasting. And one of the things they were blind tasting was, I don't remember what producer, but it was a Napa Merlot. And one of the two guys on the podcast, one of, both of whom were, were in our master sommeliers, said, oh, you know, this is like a dentist's wife's wine. And it was just like, there was something about this sort of like, that really kind of crude stereotyping for something that's supposed to be like, for a for an organization and a podcast and a subject that was supposed to be very, you know, supposed to be both like, you know, inviting i guess and also just like not you know sort of supposed to be technical i guess in some way and it was like this is just the least useful way to describe what you're experiencing both because it's exclusionary by its very choice of words and also because like just use i mean we had this podcast about words to kill and and i definitely got rid of masculine and feminine because i find it again you said like you said it's just it's not useful and it's if it's not outright sexist and it's just like i want I want people to do better. It's not that hard to eliminate this shit from your life because it doesn't actually do anyone any good. I 100% agree. I 100% agree. And I think, look, if you agree with us, then please vote with your pocketbook and let's try to stamp this shit out. And if you don't, um, you know, I, I, I wish I understood where you were coming from. Um, for me, I feel like this is stuff that really needs to change. And I think, Zach, you agree with me. If you don't, Again, I, I wish I could understand. Maybe, maybe write me an email at podcastofimpair.com and try to explain it to me. Um, but I think as, as a culture, we need to do better and we need to think about, you know, where our dollars are supporting. And it, it, it does at this point in time have to be more than just about how good the product is. And I'm, I'm willing to support people who, you know, deep down are good people. 
all day long more than I'm willing to support people who deep down aren't the best. And I just think that that's, that's unfortunately where, where we have to go to continue to advance society and make it a place where we all want to be. Yeah, I can't can't argue it at all, and I wouldn't want to. So uh, thank you so much for everyone for listening to, to this episode of the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love listening to us uh, every week, either on Monday or when the you know the article comes out, et cetera, or some other time during the week, please uh, give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. And uh, Zach, I will chat with you about probably another big issue next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast.vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is recorded in New York City at Vinepair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Joal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.